0: Fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time. Even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party.
1: This is The Voice of Reason with Andy
0: Hoosier. Yes, indeed. What's up? Welcome into it. It is a Friday. Hey, greatest day of the week, man. You made it. I have... Thankfully, luckily, maybe, I'm sure a little bit of luck's been thrown in there, been able to keep track of what day it has been today because, holy cow, this entire week has been such a weird blur to me. I have been a day ahead the entire week, meaning I've been thinking it was the day prior. Wednesday, I swore it was Tuesday. Thursday, I swore it was Wednesday. Today, I think I finally got my stuff in gear, although... I did do a couple of reports earlier today on the radio saying that it was Monday, so (laughs) I don't know. That's where my head's at today. Welcome into it. Hopefully yours has been ready to rock and roll for another weekend. Pat yourself on the back. You scream ice cream. We all scream for ice cream because it is a Friday. So welcome into it. Broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country. Multiple radio stations, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch or listen. Your millennial general reporting for duty. All right, we have a big show lined up today. bottom of this hour, we have Jerron Smith. He is the author of the book Underserved. How do we serve the communities that don't normally get served? And by that, I mean how do we take care of communities or at least get them on track for them to take care of themselves because obviously Democrats have not done a very good job of doing so. We're talking about minority communities, inner city communities, and how do we reach out to them? And are we doing a good job of reaching out to them, enough of a good job at least for them to realize that they have so much more potential than what Democrats give them credit for every day. While they try to be the party... Of quote unquote diversity, so we have that to get to. We do have the House speakership vote, that is another absolute disaster, and I've played it before, but man, I gotta tell you, I don't want to play anymore, you guys. I'm getting kind of burnt out on this thing. Apparently, this is now going to drag out into Monday, Tuesday next week, and probably a lot longer than that. Although, while it is frustrating, it is exhausting, it is tiring. I do encourage Republic conservatives, like actual, real, you know, conservatives, not the ones that pretend to with an R in front of their name, to hang strong. And if we're going to go down this road, now that the toothpaste is out of the tooth, uh, you know, toothpaste bottle, we might as well continue to fight for what needs to be fought for and get her done. So you already opened up the can, you already opened up Pandora's box. Now let's actually complete the job and not let's let's not cave and cower and quit halfway through it. And we've already caused the anarchy. We've already broken the vase. Let's keep on playing ball in the house, baby. That's what I say. So we'll get to that in just a little bit. But we do have to talk about yesterday because, man, I got to tell you, last night I felt like that we were at a retirement home with someone trying to tell stories. And this proves what you heard last night from the president of the United States or what is supposed to be the president of the United States. What you heard last night was proof positive that Democrats and progressives who are the most anti-Semitic Jew hating individuals on the face of the earth. That they cannot say something and focus solely on the attacks, the assaults, and the abuse going into the Jewish communities. They can't do it. They can't channel themselves to put on the blinders to not focus on something else and to only focus on at that moment in time the hate going into the Jewish communities and the anti-Semitism that's spewing from the progressive vial. They had, he, I mean, it was just minutes into his speech. Which, by the way, was not very long at all. In total, but it was just minutes into the speech where he was already talking about Ukraine. He was talking about hatred against Muslims and Islamophobia. He was talking about all this other garbage instead of what needed to be said, which was. There is an anti-Semitic movement right now. Hamas is a radical terrorist organization trying to eradicate Jews in the Middle East. And we will stand with the Jewish community. We will stand with Benjamin Netanyahu. We will stand with the nation of Israel. Pure and simple. Period. End of story. Leave it at that. Drop the mic. Walk off the stage. That didn't happen. And I was kind of surprised, not really surprised. We knew he was going to tie in Ukraine and try and do a a package funding bill to try and support both of those issues, which he did. And we'll play the audio clip here as well. But, man, he went off on so many tangents, and he had no clue what he was talking about. He was blending in hatred on Palestinians, hatred on Jews, hatred on Ukrainians. He was just trying to blend them all in, and none of it was flowing last night when we go into another episode of...
1: Let's go into the Biden basement.
2: You know, the assault on Israel echoes nearly 20 months of war, tragedy, and brutality inflicted on the people of Ukraine, people that were very badly hurt since Putin launched his all-out invasion. We've not forgotten the mass graves, the bodies found bearing signs of torture, rape used as a weapon by the Russians, and thousands and thousands of Ukrainian children. Forcibly taken into Russia, stolen from their parents. It's sick. Hamas and Putin represent different threats, but they share this in common. They both want to completely annihilate a neighboring democracy. Completely annihilated.
0: Okay, I, hold on a second. Are we talking about Israel and Hamas and the Palestinians? Are we talking about Russia? And the Ukraine, because he literally starts off the speech by saying, I just got back from Israel, I was talking with the government, I was talking to Egypt, I was talking to the Palestinians, I was talking talking about the Middle East. And then he just goes on this tirade about Ukraine and how this is so familiar because over the last 20 months, the last year and a half or more, almost two years now, I guess, that we've seen now the attack on Ukraine from Russia and how evil Russia is and then tries to tie the two in together. Are we talking about Hamas? And the terrorists trying to kill Jews? Or are we talking about the Russians trying to take over Ukraine? What are we talking about here? Because I'm so confused.
2: And if we walk away and let Putin erase Ukraine's independence, would be aggressors around the world be emboldened to try the same. The risk of conflict and chaos could spread in other parts of the world, in the Indo-Pacific, in the Middle East, especially in the Middle East. Iran is supporting Russia's in Ukraine. And it's supporting Hamas and other terrorist groups in the region. And we'll continue to hold them accountable, I might add.
0: All over the place, man. Uh, now, as expected, he proposed a funding bill, which is being held up obviously right now because of the House Representatives and the lack of speakership. We might see Patrick McHenry at least try to approve this spending bill from the Biden administration's request, which is $100 billion of your taxpayer hard-earned money going towards more conflicts over in the Middle East, here's the difference. And I've been talking to some other Republicans and conservatives about this, about why we can't take the Vivek Ramaswamy approach, so to speech, of just trying to keep hands off out of foreign issues which is what a lot of conservatives want to do. If you noticed under the Trump administration, we didn't start new wars. We didn't start new conflicts. We were involved in discussions with them, but we made sure to have a stronghold to where we would be able to keep the peace and not see any conflicts and get militarily or financially involved like we are to the point right now with Ukraine and with other nations. There is a massive difference between the situation we're in right now And the mindset that we see from many conservatives that were under the Bush time, that were under the Nikki Haley time, that are referencing the times of, like, World War II and saying, well, look, look at what happened in World War II when the United States didn't get involved, then look at all the massacres that happened until finally we stepped in very late in the game in World War II and finally settled a lot of this because they were all fatigued and we kind of came in and walked all over them. There's a big difference here because at that time we were going through a major depression. And the reason that we got out of our depression was when we went to war, we ended up producing things. We ended up selling bonds for the military. We ended up putting people back to work to create bombs and to build tanks and to build bullets and make bullets and produce things in the private sector, sell them to the government through bonds, and then be able to get people back to work. And that helped lift us up out of a depression. Right now, we're not doing that. And this is a completely different scenario. And while I understand needing to be involved... Not militarily, but being involved diplomatically in a nation with a strong message like Donald Trump had of, hey, unless you do what we say, we're going to pull out any of our funding or aid to you at all in any way shape. That's what we need to get back to, because obviously the diplomacy under the Biden administration is crumbling big time. Under Biden so far, we've seen North Korea try to build back up their arms that they said they weren't going to do under Trump. We have the leftover military weapons and resources that we left in Afghanistan. We've seen terrorists resurge over in Iran. We've seen them obviously build back up in the Gaza area with Hamas to try to attack Israel. We have Russia that's invading Ukraine right now with an ongoing war that's almost been two years now. We have major conflicts that have all crumbled with our geopolitics under the Biden administration. And now we're getting militarily involved again. Coincidence, that's up for you to decide. But under the Trump administration, none of that was happening, and we were least militarily involved any time that we've seen in a very long time. While the uh, while the left tries to say that we're Nazis and that we're fascists and br-guess blah, 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 what? We didn't start any military operations. And that was even at the point when we moved our embassy to Jerusalem and declared Jerusalem to be the capital of Israel for the Jewish community, a major step that you think would have started a war then. Oh, no. No, they didn't do it then. They're doing it now. So there's a little bit of a different scenario here between back then and now and how we're supposed to be involved in this stuff. But because of the lack of uh, leadership and unity within the Republican Party, we now have a decision to make on how much money we're going to be sending to our allies. And while I am full support of supporting our allies in a time of crises— the question is how much? And should we be tying a bill for both of them together of $100 billion between Ukraine and Israel? We've been funding Ukraine for two years already and have sent them multi-hundreds of billions of dollars. Last I heard was what, like $500 billion, $600 billion, almost a trillion dollars already to Ukraine alone. Now I understand we need to support Israel, but how much of this money is actually going to go to Israel? And why does it need to be tied to another crisis? That's why,
2: tomorrow, I'm going to send to Congress an urgent budget request to fund America's national security needs, to support our critical partners, including Israel and Ukraine. It's a smart investment that's going to pay dividends for American security for generations. Help us keep American troops out of harm's way. Help us build a world that is safer, more peaceful, and more prosperous for our children and grandchildren. In Israel, We must make sure that they have what they need to protect their people today and always. The security package I'm sending to Congress and asking Congress to do is an unprecedented commitment to Israel's security that will sharpen Israel's qualitative military edge, which we've committed to, the qualitative military edge. We're going to make sure Iron Dome continues to guard the skies over Israel. We're going to make sure other hostile actors in the region know that Israel is stronger than ever, and prevent this conflict from spreading.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Why, is my question, why are we tying this to Ukraine? Are they fighting for kind of the same thing? Kind of. They're both fighting for their uh, self-survival, so to speak, with both Ukraine and Israel, except one wants to exterminate an entire race of people. The other one just wants to consume it back into its... The way it was in the Soviet Union is Vladimir Putin has said that Ukraine was crafted because of the Soviet Union, which is hysterical because if you realize the history of Ukraine, that's not the case at all. But they're both fighting for their survival and for their self-independence, which I totally understand. So in that sense, yes, they are similar. But why if if Israel is one of the most important allies and strategic allies that the United States has? in the Middle Eastern region, for us to be able to have a presence in the Middle East where a lot of the terrorism and radicalism is grown and spawns and hatred of America is grown and spawn, maybe that's a benefit that we should have and an interest that the United States should be part of and take a hold of. I understand that. Why are we tying this to Ukraine and how much of this money – is going to be going to Ukraine, because I have a very, uh, very deep suspicion right now that this $100 billion that were, if we approve this, which more than likely it will probably be approved by both chambers, even with Republicans in here and the emotional state that we're in about, we got to save Israel, uh, how much of this is going to go to actually Israel in the Iron Dome instead of saying this with this nice fluffy speech about how great we need to support Israel and then have it be funneled through the Ukraine for whatever shenanigans are going on over there. My suspicion radar is up and I'm a little concerned.
1: This is the voice of reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier.
2: In recent years, too much hate has given too much oxygen, fueling racism, the rise of anti-Semitism, Islamic phobia, right here in America. It's also intensified in the wake of recent events that led to the horrific threats and attacks that both shock us and break our hearts. On October 7th, terror attacks have triggered deep scars and terrible memories in the Jewish community. Today, Jewish families worried about being targeted in school, wearing symbols of their face walking down the street, or going out about their daily lives. And I know many of you in the Muslim-American community, the Arab-American community, the Palestinian-American community, and so many others are outraged and heartied, saying to yourselves, here we go again with Islamophobia and distrust we saw after 9/11.
0: What are we talking about here? That's uh, that was again Joe Biden last night during his address to the nation from the White House. Where uh, are we talking about Islamophobia? or Are we talking about anti-Semitism? I know that both of them are bad, obviously, and we don't want hate. But this seems vaguely familiar from a hate speech bill that we had passed just a couple of years ago under the Biden administration. Where, if you remember. We heard some radically anti-Semitic comments being made from congressional leaders, not to name any, but, you know, Rashida Tlaib or Ilhan Omar, some of those that really are the ones that said that 9-11 was done by some people that just did something. Why are we making such a big deal out of this guy? And, uh, oh, yeah, and then said that the Israeli community was nothing more than a bunch of evil money-greeting Jews that just control the world. And then after those comments were made, we tried to pass a bill. In Congress, especially saying that elected officials cannot be saying these types of comments. They were radically anti-Semitic. They were radically racist. They were horrible to make. You can't be doing something like that. What are you doing? And the way it turned into, with Democrats controlling everything and bullying Republicans around, smacking them around like they like to, like the big bullies on the playground, they ended up turning the bill from an an anti-Semitism bill, saying you can't say anti-Semitic things, to just a hate speech bill because of all the... Islamophobia in the country, and just like where we had Joe Biden walking up to the podium with the red lights behind him talking about Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans being the most hateful domestic terrorists and racists and the violent ones in the nation causing all of the issues across the nation with violence and radicalism, he's now trying to insinuate again that because of all of this stuff going on that it's the Republicans and the conservatives that are anti- Muslim that are Islamophobes that are xenophobes or whatever they want to call us now and saying that we're the ones causing the hate in the community and that now oh here it is all over again just like 9-11 here it is all the Muslim community is going to be abused what are we talking about here I'm pretty sure that right now we're still talking about the eradication or the attempted eradication of the Jewish community in Israel which means anybody supporting the Hamas terrorists. Andy, they're not. They're supporting Palestine. Okay, anybody supporting the Palestinian residents, which unfortunately are stuck in the middle between all this garbage, that have been controlled and dominated and bullied and blackmailed by the terrorists of Hamas right now, uh, I get it, but why are they not talking about supporting the Israeli communities and the Jewish communities that have been slaughtered during that attack that happened two weeks ago? Where are those comments? Where the heck are those comments? But oh no, 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 now we just have to lump it all together. Hate hey, all bad. It can't be, hey, Jewish anti-semitism is bad and let's stop it it has to be now well look at all the attacks on muslim communities and i could be wrong but i have not seen any headlines or stories i'm sure they're happening somewhere unfortunately but i've not seen any major stories about us going out and just raiding muslim communities here in the united states because they're from palestine or because they're muslim and therefore they're anti-Jewish or hating Jews or something when it's the other side right now that is literally out there supporting anti-Jewish commentary. This is insane. Yeah, hatred is bad and racism is evil and that's really stupid, but dude, realize what's going on here. You can't come out and just say it. You can't come out and call out the members of your own party and your own views saying that anti-Semitism is bad and there's no place for it within the Democrat party. You can't
1: do it. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Reason meets radio. This is the voice of reason with Andy Hoosier. Hey, it
0: is the voice of Reason, and I am Andy Hoosier. Great to have you with us on the home stretch here. Last half hour of the show. Boy, it flies right on by trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that five-pound bag, trying to rebrand the millennial generation one radio listener at a time. Hey, by the way, we are about a week. Can you believe next week is the last final full week for the month of October? That's insanity, man. So we have, things are coming hot and heavy to us, getting ready for the holidays. If you have not signed up yet, I want to remind you in plenty of time, sign up for our newsletter, totally free. Hoosierreason.com, H-O-O-S-E-R, reason.com. That'll come out uh, beginning in November, so you still have a week or so to do it. But uh, we've had an awesome lot of people signing up for this newsletter. Every single month we have new people anytime anywhere between 5 new registrants to so like 20 to 50 to whatever uh, so thank you for it we love you and keep on signing up uh it's totally free you can become the latest Hoosier holic if you do so by just going to hoosierreason.com, h o o s e r reason.com when you see the little pop up that says do you want to become a Hoosier holic you're like uh yeah type in your email and you'll be subscribed you do not get charged we don't spam you a whole lot it's literally just a once a month email Really cool stuff. All right, we will work to get a hold of Jeron Smith. He is not on the line, so we will get him here soon and uh, see if we can't chat with him. If not, we'll get him rescheduled. His book, if you do want to go check it out, which I do recommend, his book is Underserved, Harnessing the Principles of Lincoln's Vision for Reconstruction for Today's Forgotten Communities. And we'll talk with him about what those communities are and how they're forgotten and how we can get progressives to step out of the way and allow all communities in this nation to have equal opportunity, not equal outcome. That's okay because there's a few things I want to play. Can I do this one more clip? I want to play this one more clip of Biden, because if this is the stance that we take, then this is literally, this sums up everything of how weak the Biden administration really is, especially on foreign policy with Ukraine and with Israel and with potentially North Korea or whatever conflict else may arise across the nation that we're, or across the world that we're supposed to be involved in. This shows the absolute prime example of his weakness is this is what he said last night during his speech.
2: Yesterday, in discussions with the leaders of Israel and Egypt, I secured an agreement for the first shipment of humanitarian assistance from the United Nations to Palestinian civilians in Gaza. Hamas does not divert or steal this shipment, these shipments. We're going to provide an opening for sustained delivery of life-saving humanitarian assistance for the Palestinians.
0: <laughs> Hold on. i got to play that again. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? Okay, for the first time, we're going to send resources to the Palestinian people in Gaza. Now, remember, these are the true victims. These are some of the victims. Obviously, there are victims that are ongoing in Israel who got blown up two weeks ago when the Hamas terrorist attacked. But there are uh, Palestinians... Of the women and the children that are being stuck in the middle. Israel has done a phenomenal job, a constant job, of trying to warn the Palestinian citizens, the women and the children, the victims of that area, to get the hell out. We're going to attack. We're going to bomb. In fact, they give them days notices. They drop fake bombs on top of the buildings to let them know where they're going to be dropping bombs and say, get out now. Trying to warn these. So, all of these rhetoric, rhetorical stories of the progressives saying, Oh, well, Israel's killing all these women and children, and Israel's going out there and slaughtering them, and there's a genocide going on to the Palestinians. That's not true. Absolute lies, completely 110% false. They're warning them. The problem is, is that Hamas is holding these people hostage. They're blockading the boats, they're blockading the roads, they're keeping these Palestinians, and because of how sick and how vile these individuals are that I don't even like to consider to be human that are doing horrendous things to women and children and others, to Jews, and then they're keeping these Palestinian women and children as the front line of defense to use them as the shield while the Israelis come and attack. That's how vile these inhumane individuals are. And it's sick. And the Israelis obviously have a difficult challenge to try and get around that to harm as few people as possible while getting to the real threat out there. Now, that being said, when the United States showed up, we're supposed to be the strongest military on the face of the earth. We're supposed to be the most powerful, the most sophisticated military on the face of the earth. We sent a massive uh, a, a ship out there, one of our biggest ones in the entire world. We sent soldiers, we sent planes, we sent everything out there. And now we're working on, according to the Biden administration, we're working on some humanitarian packages for the victims in Gaza. Hopefully we're sending resources and humanitarian efforts to the victims in Israel as well. But let's focus on the Gaza Strip now for just a second, shall we? Because that's where all uh, all the effects are happening. Uh, by the way, as a reminder of how much warning that they've been given to get out, uh, the Israelis and Benjamin Netanyahu has given roughly about a week's long notice that they were going to start sending ground troops into Gaza after blowing everything up. A week long. We've been hearing it for a week now. Last Saturday when we reported it over our syndicated program on the weekend, uh, he was saying, hey, get prepared. We're doing ground troops. We're going to start sending them in and doing ground operations relatively soon. So, uh, yeah, we've given them plenty of time. It's all right. But did you catch what Joe Biden said? He said, we're going to start for the first time. He talked to the Egyptian government. He talked to others. We're going to send humanitarian packages to the area in the Gaza Strip for these women and children. And if they're able to receive them because of Hamas taking them. Gaza.
2: If Hamas does not divert or steal this shipment. These shipments. We're going to provide an opening for sustained delivery of life-saving humanitarian assistance for the Palestinians. If
0: Hamas doesn't take it. Now, you would think that, again, being such a strong military that we are, we would be able to prevent that from happening. But that just kind of sums up the weakness of the Biden administration right now of, well, if they can go, we're going to drop them in there. If they can get them, and if Hamas doesn't take them, then well, then that'll actually help them if we're able to get those resources to them. How crazy, man. Let's get into what's trending. What's trending today? And I believe we're going to check and see. I believe we have our guests on the line as we shift gears to talk about ways where we can help individuals here on the home front and actually help domestically. What a concept, right? As uh, uh, on the line with us, he is the author of the book Uh, Underserved, Harnessing the Principles of Lincoln's Vision for Reconstruction for Today's Forgotten Communities. I believe we have on the line here Mr. Jeron Smith with us. Jeron, are you there, my friend?
3: Yes, I'm here. How's it going?
0: I am living the dream, my friend. Appreciate you coming on here. Looking forward to chatting with you.
3: Same here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to talk about, first off, the underserved communities in the United States and where we're at. Have we gotten better at actually trying to take care of different communities across the nation? Because for the longest time under progressive Democrat control, we haven't seen a whole lot of gains or success or the ability for certain communities to really flourish and live the American dream.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think we still have a lot of work to do, um, which is why we wrote the book underserved because it's our view that um This issue has continued to get kicked by elected leaders, Um, and you see that in some of the policies being put out by the Biden administration has made life uh, more unaffordable uh, for so many families, and they're not thinking about holistically how some of these uh, programs that they've continued to get behind is actually leaving communities behind. And so we wrote the book, Underserved, to kind of talk about strategies to uplift or uh, underserved communities, and economically empower them in an intentional way based off of a, a strategy and vision that was originally painted out by President Lincoln. Mm.
0: Do you think that that was intentional when some of these programs were created, saying that they're going to help certain communities, but essentially putting a glass ceiling over top to make sure that certain communities don't get to their full potential?
3: You know, there's a part of me that think that there was some type of grand conspiracy related to some of this stuff. Um, as you see, individuals continue to fight for the status quo. But I want to, to to think that people actually were trying to empower people, but didn't know the appropriate way to do it. Uh, I think that uh, President Lincoln, um, having grown up underserved himself, you know, he spent time uh, um, uh, cultivating himself, um, living in poverty on the prairie, um, and and learned that uh, the economic empowerment was a vital um, part of um, uh, being able to obtain to opportunity in America. Uh, he wanted that to be available for all people. And so post-Reconstruction, he had a vision for um, recently freed slaves um, as well as um, poor um, white Southerners. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all based off the economic empowerment piece. And so uh, Underserved kind of speaks to um, the strategies that we think could um, economically empower people and the way to get there isn't just by depending on the government, but also um, looking to the private sector as um, something that's more sustainable um, than what we currently see with just these government programs.
0: Yeah. Coming out of the Civil War and going into that Reconstruction period, do you think that the idea that Lincoln had with the Reconstruction, do you think that it was implemented Properly or enough to try and lift individuals out of the situations that they were in, or do you think that uh, it it didn't quite meet the expectations?
3: Well, every histori- historian historian um, who covered Reconstruction um, do speak to the fact that it was a failure. Um, you had a period where Reconstruction went the opposite way under Andrew Johnson, um, to which uh, we saw the, um, the the beginning and the creation. Of what became known as um black codes or the Jim Crow on um, South, that essentially used the government to um, create second-class citizenship for Black Americans, um, but it also pitted on poor whites against poor blacks, um, and that that issue has continued to kind of play out all the way now into the 21st century. Um, and what we what we think um, is that when Grant came into office, on um, with the help of Frederick Douglass. Um, there, was a tent, um, uh, there was an attempt to right-size um, this issue, um, but Grant uh, dealt with a lot of politics that he wasn't able to um, um, sur- sur- surpass. Yeah. And um, as a result, every um, a lot of presidents after him um, didn't pick up this mantle um, and kind of left us in this paradigm of um, individuals who think that neither had the, the government um, fix everything or that um, people have to figure out things and pull themselves up by their own
0: bootstrap. Yeah, it is an interesting concept on what we can do to try and help individuals break through that glass ceiling. It is Jerron Smith. It is Underserved, Harnessing the Principles of Lincoln's Vision for Reconstruction for Today's Forgotten Communities. Jerron, I appreciate it very much, my friend. we got to run. we got to get you back on the show again here real soon. Lots more coming up on The Voice Reason. The Stay voice here.
1: Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day.
0: The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. John Wright, it is. Welcome back into it. Last few minutes of the show as we wrap up today for a Friday. Greatest day of the entire week. Thanks again to Jerron Smith coming on the program. You can find him on the Tweety at JerronSmith04. Find him, follow him, check out his book, Underserved. Interesting concepts. The reconstruction of the Lincoln vision. Obviously not happening too well. And he made an interesting point. I know it was kind of a shortened interview. We had a little late uh, time trying to get a hold of him. But he made an interesting point about not just the black community coming out of slavery that was post-Civil War, but also trying to uplift the southern poor white community as well. And instead of actually rising both of them up to the success, we ended up pitting them against each other, where we have the whites against the blacks. and And it's easy to try and pit them against each other when the media is involved, when the Democrats are involved, when they love the division and the hatred within this nation. So it was very interesting to see the fact that the, he recognized that and that it, the Reconstruction structure was not just about the black community, but also about the low-income, poor, white community from the South as well when that ended up failing miserably and we ended up having the Democrat Party control everything and try and pit us against everybody else. So there's that one, but uh, it just shows again the idea of the elites trying to control the peasants of this nation through their division in identity politics. Got a few minutes left here, but let's shift gears a bit.
1: What's trending today? I know.
0: I know we've talked a lot about it this week. I know it's exhausting. But at the same time, the House of Representatives still does not have a Speaker of the House. And in fact, now it sounds like after the third vote that failed miserably again today, that there was apparently a vote behind the scenes among the Republican caucus to vote out Jim Jordan from being the nominee for the Speaker. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I know. So now we're back to square one with absolutely nothing. Kevin McCarthy, who endorsed Jim Jordan, is now endorsing... Another uh, candidate, which would be Tom Emmer from the state of Minnesota. Okay. Um, Now, Tom... But whatever, Tom Emmer, a very moderate candidate as well. This is where, again, while we're exhausted, this is where conservatives, look, if you already opened up the Pandora's box, if you already opened up the can of worms, then this is not where we cower and say, well, we need to get back to business. So I guess we just go ahead and just do whatever or else all of it was for nothing. And we've said that kind of repeatedly inconsistent over the last few days. So I don't know whether conservatives will concede on that one or not. They tried to do yesterday at that point. They were talking about trying to put in Patrick McHenry, who's the current speaker of the House, just kind of operating things, and trying to put him in at least until the end of the year. And conservatives kind of put a kibosh on that one as well because of how moderate that candidate was. Conservatives, I know that you're in the minority right now, and you're, quote-unquote, holding the House of Representatives hostage, but— You've already said that you're not going to cower or compromise on conservative principles. And now's the time for you to hold up to that promise to us and continue to actually get something. It's the moderates that have to get on board because I'm going to continue to reiterate this until they get the message, until we get the message, the voters as well, that right now moderate Republicans are standing their ground much firmer against their own party trying to shift it further to the conservative side than they have ever stood against Democrats. And that is a fact. Because at this point in the game, we have never really, I guess we have technically, but we have never really stood and allowed a government shutdown to last 17 days like we have so far with the lack of speakership. The moderate Republicans have never allowed a government shutdown because of a budgetary process to last as long as this has lasted and that is because they're willing to fight against their own party much more severely than they are against Democrats. Even uh, the other side, what's his name, Hakeem Jeffries, came out earlier today and said that uh, Jim Jordan, of course, was an evil enemy to the United States, and how there's great Republicans on the other side that are much more moderate that they totally support, and that's what they want to happen. That you have enough votes every single roll call vote this weekend. We recognize that Jim Jordan is a clear and present danger to the American people. Wow. And we are going wow. to be here for as long as it takes to end this national nightmare. Are sure. you many moderate Leader. Republicans Leader. who will be willing to partner with you on a speaker candidate? It's a question you should ask them.
3: Leader, so, Leader at this point, would you ever vote at, for Patrick McHenry on the floor?
0: I've said repeatedly that there are many Republicans on the other side of the aisle who we believe are good Americans, good patriots, good men and women. Patrick McHenry is one of them. There are others. Yeah, trying to get that moderate candidate in. Let me just reiterate for a second. This could have been resolved this week with Jim Jordan becoming Speaker of the House and actually having a more conservative party standing on conservative principles, which is what the Republican Party is all about. But moderate Republicans, the ones that don't like conservatism, that pretend to actually be Republican, have fought harder against their own party than they have against the Democrat Party ever and their entire time in Congress, and we have to be reminded of that. Every day longer that we don't have a speaker, it's because of moderates, not because of conservatives. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on the radio.